0: Welcome to the Product Momentum Podcast, a podcast about how to use technology to solve challenging technology problems for your organization.
1: Okay, well, welcome to the next episode of the Product Momentum Podcast. Sean, how are you doing? Doing good, Joe. How are you this week? Doing very well. And I have to say, I'm very, very pumped up about today's episode and the interview we did. So we talked to Sebastian Erezuriz and he is an artist and designer and entrepreneur and he's based out of New York city and he's done a lot of cool different things in his, in his career with, you know, sculptures and just designing all kinds of different, you know, things for lack of a better term. Like he's got hired to design the inside of a jet, for example, among many, many other things. And our topic today is creativity.
0: Yeah. I highly recommend we'll post a link to his uh, Ted talk in our, Uh, right up here, but I highly recommend you watch the TED talk that he did because it's extremely inspiring um, after you listen to our podcast, of course.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we usually do a segment that kind of has our take on the topic and, you know, gives some insight into it. But in this case, the interview was just so in-depth and so rich that we don't really want to do that today. We just want to say, listen to this episode about creativity. If you are looking to inject creativity into your work life, your personal life, or just don't really know what the definition of creativity is, because Sebastian's got a great way of putting it.
0: That pretty much sums it up.
1: Well, without further ado, then on to the interview with Sebastian.
0: Welcome to our Momentum podcast. Here we talk about software product and innovation, software products and innovation and how to build momentum, which you're familiar with because we've had several conversations about that in the past. Um Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about um, your your role?
2: Sure. Um, so I'm an artist, designer, um, bit of an activist, now apparently a tech entrepreneur too. Um, I've, I'm Chilean, based in New York for the past uh, 12 years. Uh, and basically, in, I have a studio in which we work on everything from the interior of a private jet to a giant uh, public artwork in Times Square or uh, a 3D printed set of shoes uh, all the way to, I don't know, some uh, basic design product. Now, over all of the time in which I've been working as a designer and artist, it's always been driven by the need to connect, the need to invite other people to look at what they're missing, to, to see what's obviously always been there but we pass by and, and somehow inadvertently can't notice it and uh, it's it's happened to me like uh, many other creatives that we feel we're no longer being able to make contact that no matter how creative we try to be whatever we throw into the world gets absorbed into this uh, black hole of information and it immediately fizzles up and disappears And so suddenly, the role of the creative, of the artist, of the designer, is being uh, incredibly frustrating and uh, unsatisfying. You feel that you can no longer make a difference. And it is within that scenario that I'm suddenly forced to get into technology as a way to use the leverage of the exponential uh, reach of technology um, to continue to communicate and connect. And and that's when slowly um, we passed from a studio that was doing uh, 3D prints and uh, using 7-axis robots and that end of the tech side to actually, maybe we need to hire a coder. And suddenly, what if we could uh, develop this bot? And what if uh, we could... Uh, think of machine learning for this or that problem, all the way to, you know what, guys, we need to hire a team of uh, engineers and start building software. So it's been a very interesting uh, path in which uh, arriving at technology has been through a a necessity uh, and always driven by a need and and an urge to connect as an artist from an existential, Standpoint.
0: Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it's been, you've had an interesting journey for sure. Um, I'd let uh, our goal here with this podcast is to kind of try to tap into some of your experience with creativity. And I know it's going to be a hard conversation to have, um, at least from our perspective. I think it comes to you easier (laughs) than it comes to most people. Um, But how do you tap? So, how do you tap into? creativity and i I find it extremely interesting that you're moving towards technology as if you think about most industries they're all becoming more and more we've had some of these conversations um in the past Sebastian about how lots of things are moving towards this software and and mm-hmm. AI is coming and you know all sorts of things are going to be changing even more than they are today so how, how do you tap into um, creativity so to speak
2: well, i I think creativity is- has long been seen as uh, almost a quality that you either have or you don't have. There's a whole mystery about how creativity works. And there's always been this cliche of creative people as being uh, unreliable and a bit of a mess, somewhat hippie-ish. And uh, these roles of artists that, uh, when they're feeling passionate, they grab red paint and. Slap the the canvas, and when they're angry, they'll they'll rip that same canvas apart, and so on. And it it unfortunately has created a an idea of what creativity is that separates it from the science, uh, separates it from the athleticism and professionalism that any other discipline should be tied to. And as a professional artist and a professional designer, someone who's been raised in this, trained in this since I was four or five. Um, I generally believe that creativity can be trained and uh, creativity is a a discipline that is uh, completely necessary, vital today and that it is at reach of anyone and uh, no matter what your current level of it is, it's almost like fitness. It is your obligation to train uh, your body, your mind uh, to be at its best possible level and in an era of interconnectivity where everyone has access to the same information the only um, resources we really have in order to compete is being able to come up with original combinations of that information and so um, I, I, I focus on that and in a way I'm, I'm a bit of a hacker a hacker of systems um, a hacker of logics and uh, I always tend to uh, give creativity and the unconscious side, the uh, intuitive side of of our brain, um, the higher respects over the rational side. In a way, I feel uh, our creativity is almost like um, an an AI, an algorithm that's capable of processing a lot more information. Uh, than we normally can, and maybe through algorithms that have been developed um, in its in their own iterations, where it's it's very hard to understand how we get there. Nevertheless, the quantity of information that can be processed by our intuition is is uh, exponentially uh, larger than the quantity of information we could try and process rationally. So both in my personal practice in my everyday routine I train myself to be as creative as possible um and uh, it's what I'm always in- inviting people to do and uh, ultimately it's my biggest service it's uh, I I will accept any challenge to take on any creative uh problem no matter how hard it is because I trust that that uh intuitive algorithm, when used properly, could bypass a lot of what we've rationally always done, and uh, it would allow you to be in the position of uh, this underdog, this uh, David versus Goliath that actually has a truly unique um, tool that can make an, an, an enormous difference. So I see creativity as the key to pretty much everything, especially in this new era, and uh, maybe even the the final um, area of uh, human intelligence that uh, AI will get to, so that the most valuable within the next 20 years before we get into some sort of, a, uh, I don't know, artificial intelligence uh, peak.
1: So you mentioned earlier the ability to be able to observe and see what's there already and we we talk about that a lot you know when we work on software projects and are mm-hmm. trying to observe our users and you know see what problems there are that are right there in front of us to solve so you know in thinking about that we talk about it's not innovation and creativity it's not always about building the next Uber or the next Snapchat but just seeing what's there and solving problems for users that you know they have workarounds for potentially. But to get to my question, how do you just very simply define creativity and or innovation? Because it's the words that get thrown around a lot. Sure.
2: Definitely. Creativity is the ability to come up with original combinations based on the same set of known ingredients. So if we have uh, pasta, tomato sauce, and uh, ground beef, we can uh, make a spaghetti bolognese or we can make a lasagna, right? And uh, it is in the role of the creative uh, to have as many ingredients as possible in the same manner that if uh, you have a, a machine learning system, you want to feed it with as much data as possible. Nevertheless, it's how we find the patterns in that data that we are able to find new original components combinations that others hadn't spotted. And a lot of the times, those patterns the patterns are the most obvious ones, the ones that we don't look at because we give for granted. Uh, there's a basis from which we start. And so often, um, the best way to start working is to do exactly the opposite of what's always been done. So I see it a little bit as... Um, if you think of any problem in 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 marketing or in branding in any area, just to give an example, you, that particular problem has probably been tackled by many, many people. That means that there's a whole group of experts that have been looking very closely at that problem, almost uh, if you could imagine physically surrounding it with their magnifying glasses on top of it. Now, when you don't sum yourself up to that group and do the the thing that everyone else would do, which would be to try to squeeze in for a little bit of space to try and see a tiny um, slot of what everyone already is looking at, which undoubtedly will most probably give you to have the same view that everyone has already seen and get the same conclusion. And if instead you start by simply looking at this bunch of people looking at something, You already start from a different standpoint, where you're already seeing not the problem, but first seeing how we've approached it and how we tend to look at it. And suddenly you see a pretty silly effect. There's a whole bunch of people all crouched up with all their heads together, all trying to observe this one thing without really noticing that the way they're observing could maybe be different. And so I'll give you a very simple example. I have the first door in humankind that has two viewers in it. If you think of any single door, when you approach a door and you ring the bell in front of you, there's a single viewer looking back. And the person on the other side who answers the doorbell can go up to the door, close one eye, peek through the viewer, and look who's on the other side. Now that viewer happens to be one single viewer. And none of us is a, 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 none of us is a pirate, right? Nine of us has a, a single eye. It doesn't make sense that we should be closing one. We're not looking through um, a telescope. We've had binoculars forever. Why not have two viewers? And so my door has two viewers and it's, it's weirdly surprising and funny in its obviousness. People look at it, see this door with two viewers horizontal, one next to another and they actually wonder if it works. And they go up to the door to check if they can actually see through it because they can't quite believe that they've never thought about it before. Now, the door has a practical purpose of allowing you to see in a better manner, right? But also it's simply staring at you back in the face um, and telling you, hey, how about we open that other eye? How about we look again? And so that practice is what I do again and again and again in a variety of areas and the process of looking at things differently uh, can really be applied to absolutely any industry or any problem
1: uh i was laughing out loud literally on mute when you were talking about the uh the people in the doors that's an amazing example and i love the pasta example too i'll probably steal that one as well so
2: mm-hmm. yeah it, it's really weird we, i i so we had a, a museum show and um we, we sent the door over. It was one of the pieces they wanted to show. And when they sent us the door back with the with the two viewers, the door came. We, we we took it out of the crate, it gets unpacked, and there was this smudge of grease between the two viewers. And I go like, what's that smudge of grease? How disgusting! And we check, and we realised it was people's noses. <laughs> and so basically, for the length of the exhibition at the museum, there had been Thousands of people that went up to the door, pressed their nose against the door, and looked through the two viewers with their two eyes to check if this really worked. Oh my god! And all of that nose grease was layered again and again and again. <laughs> I, I painted over, we cleaned it up because I thought it was really just a little too disgusting. But I should have left it as the proof of our need to sort of see that that, that things could have been different and, and changed right
1: evidence (laughs) so that's so cool um so something i debate with my my friends and my colleagues a lot is how important is like your physical environment that you're in when you're trying to be creative like you know people you know do you have to stand in a room blasting classical music or you know how important is that environment around you
2: i I think that's a really good point um obviously our our Uh, matter a lot on us in the same manner as our own physical uh, presence matters a lot. So it's been proven right, that if uh, you raise your arms more and you walk upright, um, you tend to have more positive thoughts and you carry yourself with more determination and so on. Uh, In a similar manner, if your space is very constricted, if you feel that you can't you can't move too much or do too much things without being looked at. Um, that naturally influences uh, the way that you feel more uh, constricted to come up with ideas. If uh, the space allows you to feel more free, to maybe feel less judged, um, to, to feel there's more space, it also, I believe, allows you your mind. feel more tranquil and more confident now i'll give you an example i like everyone else will wake up in the middle of the night and have an idea or i'll be in the shower and have an idea or walking around and have an idea nevertheless because i do this for a living if you guys had hired me to come up with a solution uh, with a design with with a campaign for, for the team i need to comply with. Uh, timelines, and occasionally I'll need to force myself to come up with an idea. Now, to force myself, what I do is similar to um, what some of you might do if you meditate, right? Um, I try to place myself in a situation where um, my mind can be blocked, so the unconscious side of the head can do other types of work. For that, I personally need loud music, um i personally need to be tapping my foot so i'm tapping keeping a pulse and that pulse almost works like um an om where i'm keeping my attention on that pulse and i'm it, it's almost like being a bit of a medium i'm i'm really trying to block out any thinking and allow my head to come up with weird associations and i have pen and paper in front because it's the fastest i can i can sketch or put down ideas and i just throw everything out that comes up to me and this process could last an hour an hour and a half and it's almost like uh, in a movie when uh, when the protagonist uh, opens a time portal and 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 this weird sort of circular thing opens up and they've got a finite amount of time to pass through it, right? And then the time portal closes. Here, it's almost like you have an unconscious portal or an intuitive portal where you're pulling out as much information as you possibly can as fast as you can without judging it and capturing it all, in my case, from pen and paper for someone else. It could be typing it in the computer or on their phone. Um, and then at some point, you're exhausted. At some point, you're, you're, you're done and, and your head just wants to go other ways. In the same manner as at some point you can no longer continue to meditate and and you need to end that process now to be able to do something like that is quite vulnerable because first my eyes are closed i don't know much around me i'm 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 moving my arms a lot i probably look quite silly and and quite vulnerable um i happen to be in charge of my studio, I'm the boss. So in some manner, it's already a lot easier for me to be there. Nevertheless, I still do this process when everyone's left. It's what I do when I'm alone at the studio. I have a hard time doing it otherwise. And so uh, I guess what I'm trying to, in a very long description, explain is that the environment is vital. The need to feel protected and tranquil and and feel that you can breathe, that you can think, that you're not restricted or judged is super important because um, the process of coming up with intuitive, uh, illogical uh, uh, associations with rationally maybe don't fully make sense at first requires that leap of trust and requires that space.
0: That's fascinating. So in our world, thank you for sharing that, by the way. That was very personal and um, very deep. I think in our world, when it comes to software, I agree with you that creativity is the key to everything. That was was your quote from earlier. Especially, you know, as the world is moving more and more towards technology. And like you said, we all have access to pretty much the same information and ideas that are already out there. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to help our... Customers build software that's going to help them compete in new, unique and different ways. Creativity is the key to everything. Exactly. exactly. So you you mentioned like some of your tactics for how you trigger creativity for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of things in there that are probably very unique to you and, and how you've sort of evolved through your amazing mm-hmm. life. Um, do you have any advice that, that, might be useful f- to software development teams that are trying to work together to solve problems. And you've been through um, one of the workshops that we execute. Do you think that there's any sort of validity to, to following some sort of guided process for helping figure out solutions and coming up with ideas? I mean, what do you think about that?
2: I'm, uh, I'm a little skeptical towards um, team development of uh, the Creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it's similar to when you get the director of the movie uh, to decide that he no longer wants to be in charge of the authorship of a, a particular film, leaves the movie, and the rest of the production team decides to do a mashup of a variety of creatives and, and carry that through. Um, normally, what tends to happen there is that you get a relatively generic commercial movie that fulfills a lot of the base requirements that you would expect, nevertheless, has very little soul. And that, I think, is mostly because um, in order to be able to to make a bigger breakthrough in creativity, uh, someone needs to take a big risk. Makes sense today the the only bet you can do if you're in a company is to innovate and to break through of what's expected that is the only rational safe move for you to do now not everyone can do that and especially if uh, if you're nervous of the approval of others especially if you're not the boss and uh, your job is on the line um especially if you Feel you don't have the complete authority to present a paradigm shifting notion that uh, often could sound stupid. And so, um, I think as much as it's, it's, um, vital that teams can work creatively checking each other's hypothesis and theories and moving together towards strategies for solving problems, and each one can contribute different elements, having a leadership uh, that is trained in creativity, that is not afraid to present uh, ideas that are somewhat crazy, um, that is willing to put those out there without being nervous about being judged or their job. Um, and that even maybe has a certain level of pride in coming up with these contrarian notions um, is is uh, vital right you, you should have in your team someone who just does this, and that that's their role and they're expected to be the contrarian because that in of itself almost as a feature within um, the process um, guarantees that there's a there's an element of measure there's there's a there's a force different perspective and that perspective comes from a safe place Um, now generally it's best if this is not the owner of the company doing it Mm -hmm. Uh, generally it's best if it's someone who doesn't feel that the the results uh, financially are all going to um, depend on this decision one of the beautiful things for me of being a, a designer artist is that at the end of the day, most of the jobs I take, um, I almost take them for honor before money. I always say I'm I'm not for sale. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about your problem and I'll give you what I believe is the solution you need to take. Um, if you don't take it, that's your problem. And and uh, if if you If you think it's dumb, it's it's fine. I I, I couldn't care less either. Um, I'm not going to give you a mediocre uh, idea that you probably expect because I, first and foremost, want to feel satisfied almost at an existential level with what I contributed. And hopefully because of that, I get well paid.
0: That's amazing.
2: Um, But that's a freedom that, in a weird way, my upbringing as an artist has allowed me to have today. Nevertheless, it is, it's a freedom that is key and it is vital. And that should be uh, incentivized at least in a couple of members within every team.
0: I like that. I, you know, the, the underlying theme that I've heard you use and say at many points is safety. Yeah. And people need to feel safe in order to thrive. And ideas are never, I totally agree with that point. Like people are never going to feel free or have their ideas flowing freely unless they feel safe. So we have to create an environment of of complete and thorough safety, especially around that sort of stuff. And I love the idea of having sort of people that are almost tasked with defending the, the ultimate goal and being the contrarian when they have to be the contrarian because it's exactly. it's easy especially in the corporate world that we have we have to exist in in, in the business that I run right mm-hmm. that we're constantly being pushed towards mediocrity mm-hmm. because it's safe like we know that our competition's doing this so if we if we you know meet these requirements and we build the product in this way we know the competitors are doing it and they're doing something right so we can be safe by doing the same thing
2: Well, but that's that's the problem, and that's what's shifted. It is no longer safe. Mm. And people are having a hard time realizing that it is no longer safe to do what's always been done. But the reality is that every single industry is being disrupted or has been disrupted over the past couple of decades. Mm -hmm. So no matter how big your industry currently is, If it does not have the practice of disrupting itself, it will be disrupted by someone else. So the only safe thing for any company to do today is to either hire the most disruptive person they could think of or have someone within their team paid to be disruptive. Because if if I'm going up in competition with, with other people and the, the salaries of my team are on the line, if uh, my investors are on the line, I want to know all the data. I want to know all the info. I want to know all the possibilities under which this could happen in a different manner. And what are all the possibilities that someone else could come up with to fuck me over? And if I'm not doing that job myself, uh, that's it, terrible. So it's like, I guess it's like trying to go to run for office. And not collecting information on uh, all the all the dirty information on your um, competitors or not trying to first check everything that's wrong about me and everything that could come out so that if it does come out later on, right, I will have some measure of defense towards it. So we're not safe and, and it's not safe to continue working the way we have. Disruption is a necessary part of any company today that wishes to be safe. You either hire that person externally or you or you pay someone in your team to be that. Now you, you could switch them around. You could you could one week have someone who's the disruptor and who's safe and then you, you ask someone else to do that role and so on.
0: Yeah, I think to your point earlier, it's gonna require it's gonna require being conscious about it being purposeful about it and practicing that like making it a practice
1: so so to that end about you know companies kind of trending towards doing what they perceive to be safe even though it isn't you know what are some companies or who are some companies that that you admire or or do think you know doing a good job with, with creativity and and being different
2: um well, we could definitely think, for example, of uh, just this week alone. Um, Nike's move to um, place uh, what's his name, Kirkpatrick,
1: Colin Kaepernick, yeah,
2: yeah, Colin Kaepernick, then um, as the face of Nike, knowing that they make the uh, right, they they make the outfits for the football league and so on is is a huge bet. That kind of risk um, that Nike has taken before in other situations, I think is uh, brilliant. I think that's the kind of thing that companies should be doing right now. And for a lot of people, that would be a very, very scary move. You're basically siding with one part of a giant political discourse. And you're seeing immediately the next day uh, a whole group of people posting your ad as their own personal belief on social media they're they're uh, choosing to promote your own brand as a concept right they're they're reposting your ads um as their own personal philosophy while you're having another group that's burning their old nike products um that kind of bet came out of some agency in charge and it came out of one creative person who went for a coffee and figured you know what we've got to do this and he managed to convince his team and they convinced the owner of the agency and that owner of the agency had to then convince the whole nike team and then they probably had to convince uh, i don't know maybe the board but that's this whole series of bets that needed to happen that w- allows us to today be talking about it on a podcast Will have uh, it be the trending element. And um, I think it's brilliant. Uh, and so, once again, risk here is actually pretty safe. I mean, what's going to happen to Nike? Nothing. Everyone's going to continue using it. This is going to die down very quickly. And uh, for most people, uh, it will continue to cement the notion of uh nike as a very edgy brand and uh that will be it so it's a brilliant move if you think about it in the same manner um i I don't know there's there's many companies that are constantly changing and innovating um uh, this same week again i guess we could talk about amazon right um the fact that they're now a trillion dollar company and um if we were to check the interviews of, of uh, Bezos uh, from just uh, 15 years ago, the guy was already talking about the need to collect data and and the importance of uh, being able to know everything about your client. Uh, the fact that they're capable of continuing to constantly innovate again and again and again is just brilliant. And I think... In an era of exponential growth in which uh, everything is becoming automated, in which uh, artificial intelligence can solve most of the base problems, Uh, this constant innovative practice is the only way to thrive.
1: Yeah, I've heard uh, Jeff Bezos' interviews say, you know, when we come out with a great quarter, you know, for our our stock and the results come out, that wasn't from what we did last quarter, that was from three or four years ago of planning and exactly. innovating. And, you know, it's essentially got to be built into your DNA to be operating like that. So that things are continually, you know, being innovative as you, as you grow and, and kind of move forward. So, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, you're talking a little bit before about, you know, teams and teams being creative. So when you're hiring a creative for your team, what are you looking for in that candidate and how do you, how do you test them?
2: Sure. it's a good point. Um, because in my case, uh, my prime role is to be the disruptor and have this uh, general creative overview, I don't necessarily need everyone in the team to be as disruptive. Um, sometimes on the contrary, I, I need everyone to be able to execute very well. So I guess uh, what, uh, what we tend to, to search for first is uh, curiosity. I think curiosity is key, um, especially in, in this era. The need to the need to want to know more, to understand why things are the way they are, to question the status quo, to to read about any one particular issue, have a doubt and want to follow that doubt up to understand why things are in a particular manner. I think that's vital. Uh, then I think if there's a there's there's a need for stamina today, right? The the notion of of drive, stamina, persistence. You basically want to have a team of people that are almost uh, uh, marathonists capable of pushing stronger and stronger. Um, And then what I do require is that everyone is um, extremely critical, right? I, I don't want yes people. I want the most critical people possible. I want whatever project we're doing, whatever theory we're having to be destroyed in-house. I don't want a safe environment because a safe environment isn't safe. The only safe environment is the most critical one. So if I come up with a project or a solution, that solution, if it has a flaw, it better be spotted and destroyed in my own team, in my own space. I do not want a project going out into the world with our name on it that then gets spotted to have a series of weak points or have a series of aspects we hadn't thought about. So having a team that is extremely critical, that is proud to be critical, in my case is important. Now, I, I can, I'm personally fine with that. I, I see criticism as as a a virtue and and my ego is not on the line if what i present i feel is is considered wrong um obviously (laughs) within within respect right um but i i think yeah uh stamina curiosity high levels of criticism um and then i think pride pride is important um i always ask the team to no matter what they're working on, to first work for themselves before they work for me. So even though they're being asked to do a particular job, they're being asked to, to fulfill a task, if uh, the task they're, not, they're fulfilling, if they're not doing it at a level that they're happy themselves, then it's wrong. If you're not first proud of what you just did, if you're not doing it for you first, if this is not good enough for you, it's not good enough for me. So you better be convinced about what we're doing, and if not, you better work on it so that it's good enough so you're convinced. Because I don't want you just doing what you were told to do. I want you doing something that you're proud of.
0: Well, that might be the best. And that's, that's, that's key. Yeah, that might be the best answer I've ever heard to that question. So thank you for
1: that. Yeah, I love that. I wrote it all down. So- <laughs>
0: Um, I want to shift gears a little bit you're um, moving into you've been moving into the software development space for a while now. you've got a really cool and interesting project. Um, I know it's not fully launched, so I don't know how much you can share about it, but we'd love to hear about it and hear have our audience hear about how you're intending to disrupt the art world through technology
2: sure um well as a as an artist designer i've been fortunate to be able to to build a name to um, have a career and be able to uh, exhibit and create the works that I want to make, and have a, a group of collectors that pays handsomely for these pieces. Now, the reality is that ninety percent of all art graduates don't get to live from the sales of their work. They don't even get to exhibit, and that's naturally because um, exhibiting is is expensive. You need uh, a team. You need uh, prime real estate, insurance, shipping, handling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that in turn means that art needs to be expensive. And so um, we have a very small limited amount of the population that can pay very high prices for a small quantity of work. Because of the cost involved, uh, you can only really do an exhibition once a month, right? Because it's too expensive to be changing constantly and putting everything up again and shipping and creating and sending it back on the truck and so on. So you have this very old system that no longer makes sense in an era of technology. And uh, for me, the logic there is first, I have a responsibility as a successful artist designer to try and help everyone else to exhibit and show. Um, I believe that in an era where we're no longer maybe buying books or albums, uh, Maybe we're no longer buying movies, but instead we're in, we're all renting or paying for the experience. Uh, being able to change a system where you pay a lot of money, uh, to own permanently something by very few people to instead having a system where you pay a tiny micropayment for an experience that you don't need to own because there's so much interesting experiences that you want to have a different one all the time makes complete sense and within that the the logical step is to move into the virtual to uh, use uh, augmented reality as a platform where the arts and creative experiences can be shared and so um we're currently building a platform for artists designers architects creatives in general to be able to exhibit their works um, share their works and receive some form of um, payment for that experience um, and be able to do that in a democratic manner um, using the natural technologies that are coming up now that will be part of our future routine. So we're basically trying to build, not trying, we're building the future art world in which most of the creative output we believe will be made and experienced.
0: That's great. What's the last book you read, Sebastian, that sort of changed the way you think that you would recommend our listeners read?
2: I I don't have a proper answer because I actually stopped reading books about a year ago. Um, So books have this problem, right? Which is a, a, a format problem and it's similar to pretty much every single other industry you get a writer that has a series of ideas that can be perfectly summed up in 20 pages. But because the system of the book market requires 220 pages or 180 pages to be able to be sold and packaged within the normal system for the whatever $15 price, they need to fill it up with crap. Totally and great. I have no time. crap. for I already read all the <laughs> self-help books of, uh, the um, airport bookstores and I already went through all of that info and books are no longer efficient tools. And so what I do instead is I I read about 20 newspapers every day. I I go through every single newspaper I can think of and I'm trying to search for data and articles that could be related one to another. Uh, In a weird way, I think we need to change the concept of books and uh, leave those for the very enlightened. So in the case of Duval Noah Harari, the book is so successful partially because of, of the originality of the theme and its time and its urgency. Nevertheless, most probably due to the actual depth of uh, intelligence uh, from a guy who meditates five to six hours a day, who's actually capable of packing a 220-page book with real original content worth 220 pages and not uh, a 20-page series of hypotheses uh, accompanied by a lot of bullshit examples and, 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 and little stories and anecdotes.
1: It's so true. I mean, you read the first one or two chapters of a book and then all of a sudden things start to repeat themselves and you're like, oh boy, I'm just going to skim the rest or just put it down.
2: Exactly. Exactly. We don't have time for that anymore, and and it's a system that's broken.
0: So there's a quote from Albert Einstein that kind of reflects that point. There comes a point in your life when you need to stop reading other people's books and write your own. Books are all really looking at the past, and they're somebody else's ideas, right? So it's interesting.
2: True. And, And again, books, there's nothing wrong with books. It's a medium to capture ideas. The problem is that there's very few people today... Capable of coming up with enough original ideas that can actually fill 220 pages, and in and it's hard to find a same set of ideas that can still be contingent and and still be contemporary within the time frame in which the book comes out. So, for example, if I I, I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts and 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 TED talks and so on. If I check a TED Talk about technology, I will not listen to a TED Talk about technology that is older than 2017, even if it's a futurist version, because it's already too old. It's already gone. Right. It's of no use whatsoever. Right? So I need to know that whatever I'm listening to is from a couple of months ago. And unfortunately, the book system, because of how exhausting it is to to write a book uh, it you could be listening to the ideas of someone that's been brewing them for ten years, and it, some of that might be contemporary, some of that might already be past all
0: right, last question. do you want to ask one, Joe or sure, go on to
1: yeah so i was, I was like to to gauge you know. If, from people coming from different perspectives. What do you think is the single most reason a product, or in this case, maybe an idea, fails? And is there anything you can do to avoid that?
2: That's a really good question. Um, I guess the single biggest reason a product fails is uh, the lack of data. Um, Right? Steve Jobs used to say that people don't know what they want until they see it right and and there's a philosophy that many of us use of trusting our gut and and believing that we know what needs to be put out and i think as a as a creative whose sole purpose is to push the ideas that go against the system and are contrarian the first requirement is data. If you do not have all the variables, you cannot uh, come up with the right product, the right idea. So if I'm going to rob a bank, I I can come up with the most ingenious way of doing the perfect bank robbery. But if uh, I don't know that the guard's just been changed and that there's a new alarm system in. And so I think uh, there's an arrogance that uh, we all tend to exercise in which we believe we know and we haven't updated our information and we haven't maybe allowed a contrarian to ask about potential scenarios that we didn't know about or uh, we cast a net that was too small in terms of you know, what we thought were the requirements involved. And, and so I think it's, it's vital to first uh, cast as wide a net possible, understand as many of the variables that are about to go into the system, and then within that, be able to distill it in a contrarian hypothesis that could have the potential to disrupt each and every single one of the variables that were um, considered a a key. I think, yeah, that's it, data. That's a good answer, Q. The algorithm, right? Can't work. AI can't work. Nothing can work without the appropriate data, even for a creative uh, studio.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sebastian.
2: You're welcome, John. It's, You're welcome. It's been fantastic. Congrats on everything, and uh, thank you for, I don't know, all the support and the, the the projects we're seeing together. I hope uh, we can get everything to work.
0: I'm sure we will. Just always a matter of time. And which, you know, always feels like we don't we don't ever have enough of.
1: The older I get, the more it feels that way. All right, so that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we're not gonna just talk the talk. We're gonna walk the walk. So we would love if you go into your podcast products and leave us a review. Sean and I guarantee And are committed to reading absolutely every piece of feedback we get there. And not only that, but you're helping other listeners by getting that feedback in there. It helps us move up the search rankings so that other people can find the episodes. So thank you, everyone.